Welcome to the Ridiculously Good Podcast, where we talk to people who are ridiculously good at what they do, learn how they got to where they are, and uncover firsthand insights about their industries. I'm Nicole Astra, and my guest, Jennifer Stoikovich, is a multi-talented executive leader in food technology and investment, policy, and advocacy who built her career in Silicon Valley. She is the founder of Vegan Women's Summit, a global platform of more than 40,000 women leaders dedicated to building a kinder, more sustainable world. Jennifer is a frequent contributor to Rolling Stone, an internationally featured speaker who regularly garnishes national press attention. Finally, she is the author of a new book, The Future of Food is Female, Reinventing the Food System to Save the Planet. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. I got to tell you, I'm really excited and inspired before we even get to our conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm very, very excited to be here. And honestly, when you read the bio so eloquently like that, it it makes me sound very, uh, very excited to be here. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun today. Well, let's just dive in with a little bit about your career history and how you found yourself among some of the giants. Absolutely. So I have uh, been out on the West Coast for the last uh, six or seven years building my career uh, first in Silicon Valley in the tech industry, uh, later kind of pivoted into food tech more so, and we can talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Um, My career has essentially been as a lobbyist and government relations leader in uh, the tech industry. So working with everybody from Google to Airbnb to Microsoft, uh, the way that I like to explain it is if they're an app on your phone, they're probably somebody that I've worked with. Uh, Largely a lot of that post 2008 boom of companies. It's been a wild ride and excited to, to really kind of pivot into the food technology space now as the next big thing. So you are a young woman at the time, and I want to, I guess, get inside your head on how you thought it was to integrate into that group that, for lack of a better word, is a little exclusive. It was a weird experience, I've got to say. So for way of background, I'm from a very small town in Canada. Uh, My parents have a 10th grade education. Uh, The idea of making it in the tech industry and making it to Silicon Valley was quite a pipe dream for me growing up as a kid. And so making my way to California, really just learning about this industry from the ground up and finding myself in the room with some of the most powerful people on the planet, essentially, has been a very interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, I was often, and still am often, the only woman in the room in conversations like this, uh, very often the youngest in the room, And imposter syndrome has been a challenge from the get-go. You know, and I want to, let's just go off script here a second, because as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, there's some similarities there for me. Even when I was in my 20s starting a career, only woman in the room, um, lots of male engineers in the industry that I was in. And there is a little bit of that sensation of, am I supposed to be here? And, you know, I hate to say that and and set our feminism back, but when you're the only one there, you do kind of think, well... How did I get here? And imposter syndrome is something that's really been popping up among, you know, my circle of influence a lot lately. Tell people what you mean by that. So imposter syndrome is essentially what you just said, the feeling, um, this just this emotion that comes over you where you just feel for some reason that you do not belong 
or you more specifically are not deserving of being in the place that you are. Uh, I think the main issue is that women are so underrepresented in this space uh, that it's just impossible to escape in most industries. Uh, there's very few industries that are woman dominated, especially you know if you're a woman of color, you'll often be the first um, to make it into the sphere that you're in. And so it's just kind of natural that imposter syndrome seems to follow. Yeah, that second guess. So you point out in your book that, of course, food is what binds us. Everyone eats. But ultimately, there are a handful of people making the decisions that go into those food systems. At what point did you look around? Was there a moment or a catalyst that brought you into food tech, putting you on this path? So this really started with my personal journey quite a long time ago. So while I was building this big career in the tech industry in the Valley, I personally went vegan uh, almost eight years ago now, actually. So uh, when I went on this personal journey, it was at a time when it really wasn't as accepted or as mainstream as it is today. Uh, so this is something that I've been looking to bring into my career for quite some time now. And luckily for all of us, food tech has really started to explode since 2018 or so, especially after the Beyond Meat IPO. Uh, this was really kind of my moment to start blending the skill sets that I have together. Uh, and I can share a little bit more about why I actually decided to, to go plant-based. Yeah, please do. This is a story that I like to share with folks because it's an atypical one. It is probably the only story you're going to hear about um, going vegan that involves a murder. So when I was younger, um, when I was actually a newlywed, just uh, right after getting married, my husband and I unfortunately went through um, the death of his best friend and our best man who was murdered in a tragic sense of gun violence, act with sense of gun violence. And when that occurred and, and when that happened to us, we were completely, completely caught off guard. This is not the kind of situation, the kind of trauma that you ever expect to experience in your life. And as we were beginning to grapple with the implications of what was happening, uh, we started to do a lot of reading and started to look into how do you cope with grief and and how do you understand what has happened to you? And so uh, we had to go through a murder trial. We had to go through the entire thing that you see on TV. Unfortunately, that was our life. Um, actually went and forgave the murderer, went to the, the prison and everything. And when we decided to find that compassion within us uh, in that situation, we discovered that while we were finding compassion in that specific situation, we weren't acting with compassion in other situations in our daily life. So we decided that the most obvious way to begin to really bring compassion into our daily life beyond just that tragedy was what we do three times a day. And that was the food that we eat. Yeah, absolutely. The book, of course, also reiterates that we can save the world simply by changing what we put on our plates. So I'm... Um, First, I'm very sorry for your loss, and I'm grateful that you're sharing that. Not a lot of people experience that. You're absolutely right. And sometimes the darkest spots are where we we find unexpected highlights in our lives. And it sounds like this really did change things for you guys. Dr. Sylvia Spurek in your book said, there is no real feminism without veganism. So as you started this journey you know, even several years ago. And of course, now you're surrounded 
um, by vegans. Talk to me about that quote before we get into the summit. So Dr. Spurek, she hits a nail on the head, right? Like that is, that's the kind of quote that really cuts through you. And when she said that to me, when we were working on the interviews for the book, I thought that it was both bold and courageous for an elected official to say it, but absolutely the kind of message that needs to be shared. Uh, So for those that aren't familiar with Dr. Sylvia Sperwick, she's a member of the European Parliament uh, in Poland. She literally is on the front lines right now receiving millions of refugees. It's just an incredible, incredible um, feat that she has been able to accomplish in her work as a uh, member of the European Parliament. And so when I sat down with her uh, to talk about the book and to talk about her policy work and, and where her focus was, she actually started the conversation by talking about her history of women's rights and reproductive rights. Very timely conversation to have right now. That's actually what she has spent the majority of her career doing. And so um, she is a lawyer, um, very much like on the forefront of gender violence um, legislation for Europe, um, on the forefront of cyber violence against women. Uh, there's an entire you know, section of the conversation where we talked about just how much worse it is for women. And in her body of work, after many, many years of working on this issue, she learned about what happened to dairy cows uh, through some climate change work that she was doing. And she very quickly connected that with the reproductive rights work that she is doing for women in Europe. And it immediately became clear to her that You absolutely cannot be a feminist if you're not protecting the rights of all women um, across all species. And so what we're doing to cows and chickens, it's just it it goes against everything we stand for as feminists. And I can only assume that some of that mentality went into starting Vegan Women's Summit. But where did that begin for you? So I began Vegan Women's Summit about two years ago or so, uh, right before the pandemic. And I was really just trying to create a space and a platform for people like myself, for women like myself. Um, At the time, I had started doing some food tech programming, started to um, dip my feet into this space a little bit. This has been 2018, 2019 or so. And I realized pretty quickly that although I was working with all these amazing um, male CEOs, people like Uma Valetti or Josh Tetrick or Bruce Friedrich or all of the the usual suspects. They were always great and very responsive and um, did a lot with me in the early days and still do. They were some of the only leaders that I could find around me. And it became very, very clear that there weren't a lot of women leading in the space. Obviously, there was Miyoko Shinner, who's just an absolute trailblazer. uh, But there's just really wasn't very much representation beyond that. And so I thought if we can create a community, a platform and start to actually challenge that status quo and start to consciously put effort into building a more diverse and equitable future of food, we have this once in a generational or once in a century opportunity to actually have a woman led industry. It's such a new industry Uh, We all kind of know with the tech industry, it's decades and decades old. It's a male-dominated space, and we've kind of missed the boat on that one, unfortunately. But we haven't in food. So my goal was how can we start doing what is needed to lay down the groundwork for powerful women's leadership in this space? And an immediate reception in the industry as well. You've experienced a lot of growth in just two years. Can you give me some of the stats from... 2020 to 2022? Oh, it's crazy, Nicole. It's totally crazy. 
We started with 250 women in a room um, just under two years ago. And we went from 250 women to probably 45,000 women professionals across six continents today. So the growth has just been absolutely exponential. Our reach has just grown so much. Uh, we have now started working with women across all six continents. Um, in addition to doing our big flagship summit, which uh, folks that are listening may have participated in or heard about the Vegan Women Summit, we also are now doing um, Pathfinder, which is the world's only pitch competition for women founders in the future of food, fashion, beauty, and biotechnology. We've been doing that for two years now and reached over a thousand women founders across 31 countries. Um, so that's the fun little nugget I like to throw out when people say there aren't enough women founders. Absolutely not true. Uh, we've also uh, connected over 2,000 job seekers um, since we launched our job networking series, BWS Connect, last year as well, um, helping to connect them to big companies like Beyond Meat, Impossible, but also really fast-scaling startups like NextGen slash Tyndall Foods and all these other really cool companies in the space. Um, we believe that there is a huge need for women's leadership in all aspects, not just as founders, but also as investors, but um, as talent in the pipeline as well. Uh, these companies need to have access to talented women professionals, um, specifically women of color. 60% of our community is women of color. And that's really just where things have gone in these last couple of years. We also produced the only founder survey in the entire industry focused on women. Um, so we talked to about 150 women CEOs every single year and produce a report um, called The State of Women in the Future of Food. And we actually have the data to back up some of these conversations that we have about both the barriers and challenges facing women founders, as well as the massive opportunities. Yeah. And the diverse voice is needed in this space. I mean, we are talking about something global that is community it's our sustenance it's the sustainability of our planet and the female voice is essential so kudos to you for making sure it is heard let me just say that jenny um let's talk about some of the big hitters i i want to say it was 2021 um uh for pathfinder pitches but where are they now? You know, a couple of these I, I already knew, Sundial, Daisy, uh, Lab, Mushroom Meat Co. They have had quite a year since uh, pitching to you guys. Do you know where any of them are now? Oh, of course I do. So yeah. our very first Pathfinder winner, um, so two years ago, was Algalife. And Algalife is algae-based um, textiles and uh, wools and dyes and things like that. So they're actually and our first winner. Go figure was, was a fashion company, actually. And dear listener, if you have not looked into everything that algae can do, as soon as this podcast wraps, you need to go do some research because it's coming and it's incredible. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. And so they they actually have some promising technology to remove animal-based wool, which is one of the few spaces that have really not been disrupted at all. So they were our first winner. And last year, they inked a partnership with H&M and have already wow. launched an entire collection. Huge. And so that was our first winner. Our second winner of this past fall, um, Jessica from Sundial, is just absolutely slaying it. So she just closed her round. Sundial Foods produces uh, chicken drumsticks, very realistic chicken drumsticks. Um, their claim to fame is twofold. Uh, one, I think it's only seven ingredients, so it's super clean. But the second thing is 
they have figured out a way to produce a chicken skin that makes people go crazy. So yes, they- I've checked it out and it really is incredible and versatile. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, also 22 years old. Absolutely ridiculous. This, yeah, and she's going had, to be quite a journey and, and true collaboration too has really, really gotten them there. Um, so you've just wrapped uh, Summit in April. Who should we be watching for 2022? Oh boy, there's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that there's going to be a ton of stuff coming out in the precision fermentation space. Um, very, very excited about, you know, we started off with just perfect day technology. Uh, but now there's so many new products that are both coming out with that technology and tons and tons of new folks that are um, creating their own precision fermentation technology. So that'll be really exciting to see. I'm also really excited to see what's going to come out in the mycelium space. So, uh, mm. you know, for folks, that's the community of roots underneath the mushrooms. Uh, mm-hmm. We are just starting to scratch our, the surface of fungi. I think it's something like 95% of the fungi kingdom uh, remains um, completely unresearched. So there's a massive amount to tap into that space. And I'm excited for both food products. So there's things like uh, meaty, or uh, we also have Libra foods, a few, a few of them doing mycelium, but there's also mycelium being used for like car leather and uh they're be they're starting to use it for there's even uh potential for mycelium to start being used in like building like in architecture too so that's just insane um i think that mushrooms could potentially save the planet from what i'm hearing these days (laughs) you know i have said that exact same thing on camera many many times (laughs) and people are like okay crazy (laughs) i believe oh i believe it i i absolutely yeah see you're talking my language and i get so excited when we think about a future that when we're just doing things properly, we're doing things oh, with yeah. nature and not against it and the power that that can have. It is, it gets me excited. All right, let's switch gears here. So your book, I, I do want to know um, about the book tour and how fabulous that was for you. But you know, people, here's what they're saying. You already know, but visionary, inspiring, hopeful. These are wonderful, important things, and people are grateful you're shedding light and giving voice to women in the industry. But tell me a little bit about the book tour. Let's start with the fun stuff. Okay. So, and, and I'd love to address some of those. Actually, I'll start with the top. Visionary, inspiring, hopeful. I fully believe that if we are going to solve the climate crisis and everything um, that's in front of us, we need to be solutions oriented and we need to be positive and hopeful. This is something that I think that we have not always done the best job of. Um, but if you want to be able to envision a better world, we need to put solutions forward. So that is just everywhere that I'm coming from, everything I do with the book, with BWS, with my own personal brand is always, always forward looking. So we took this on the road. Uh, I just got back two days ago from the book tour. We went across Boulder, Austin, Miami, all the way up through Atlanta, Raleigh, Philly to New York. Um, That's just the first leg. I'm actually going to be taking the book uh, international starting next week as well. We got Switzerland, um, Israel, Vancouver, Canada, a few other places coming up in coming weeks. Um, So this book is going everywhere and people are thrilled. Yeah. Again, I'm just nodding my head along with you because it's so important. I want you to educate us on the data behind women in leadership. You know, you've said some key words here, solution, uh, positive, collaboration. Tell me what you have learned by studying women in leadership. Well, first off, women create companies for different reasons than men. 
That mm-hmm. is both, I can tell you anecdotally from hours and hours and hours of, of conversations um, with some of the top CEOs, but also I can tell you that from a data perspective. So uh, data shows that men are about eight times more likely to create a, mon- a company for financial gain versus women. So there is, there is numbers behind it, but in these conversations that I have with women, it is so abundantly clear just how much of a difference that makes. So I'd say probably 50% of the CEOs that I speak to are mothers, yet every single woman founder that I speak to has this innate need to care for and to nurture the planet around her. There is just something, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's just like in our DNA, maybe it's just a biological thing, but it is very clear that these women founders, they see a responsibility to the planet and to living creatures around them and, and the health of the planet and the health of, of people on the planet in a way that you don't just quite see with a lot of um, male-driven industries. So that was probably the biggest takeaway that I had. Uh, and it was really exciting. It was exciting to, to hear from all of these people that were creating innovations for exactly the right reasons and really just starting to trailblaze a new form of capitalism. I write about this in the book. I've got a chapter on conscious capitalism, but it really, it's true. It's absolutely true. And I think that creating the market solutions that we need in a thoughtful way and an impactful way is exactly how we're going to get ourselves out of the crisis that we face. Yeah, and looking much farther down the road, not just at the immediate fix. But, you know, and I've said before to women, we do solve, but we also soothe. And I think that might be where some of it comes from. And maybe it is just in our DNA. What about some of the barriers for female entrepreneurship in the food space? So unfortunately, there's not great data on the specifics of venture capital funding uh, for women in the food tech space. But generally speaking, it's about 97, actually more than 97% of all venture capital goes towards male founders. So less than 3% goes towards women founders and about half of a percent, not even a single percent goes towards women founders of color. I've heard anecdotally, they think that the ag tech space is closer to 5%. So still just absolutely shocking disparity, um, either way that you cut it. So the funding is a challenge. But at the same time, I, I do believe that we are seeing more women founders in certain areas in the food space, uh, particularly in like the biotech side of things. Uh, a lot of the cell based founders, the newer crop of cell cultivated meat founders or product founders are women, uh, especially in Asia. Almost all of the people in the cellular agri- agriculture space in Asia are women, which is pretty exciting. So um, the challenges that, that I think we face right now are how do we get women from early stage founder to that growth stage? That appears to be one of the biggest uh, problems is that women can't really get past that early stage. And how do we get them into scaling and commercializing their products? Uh, Miyoko and I have chatted about this at length before, and she was telling me that one of the groups she's part of, a natural products group, uh, she is like among one of the only women founders she's seen go from the entry level membership five years ago to over 10 million in sales. She doesn't see other women founders move out of that category like she has. So what is it that's not supporting women at that next stage? So that's, of, of course, I think one of the big challenges that we face. Uh, there's also been some pretty clear and obvious signs of gender bias in this space. And there's nothing that's more apparent than when you look at the infant and toddler category. 
the fact that it took until a few years ago for us to even consider the implications of lab-grown breast milk, for instance, and, and the fact that there wasn't even commercially um, available plant-based uh, infant formula. And even now, like I think Gerber just announced just this week that they're coming out with their very first plant-based line. Um, that just goes to show such a massive market opportunity that's been missed for quite some time. Uh, when you look at how far back the investing in the plant-based and cellular agriculture space goes, how did nobody think of babies? People ask yeah. me all the time, they say like, well, how do you know there's a market for it? I say, okay, well, first off, 100% of us were babies. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there's a lot of babies. Uh, but secondly, you know, 90% of babies born in America that are, um, that are black are going to be lactose intolerant. Um, the vast majority of Asian babies are going to be lactose intolerant. There's so, so many infants that are being born every single day that cannot consume the commercially available products that are in the space. And how, how has nobody thought of this until the last and, few years? And this is exactly why we have to look at our food systems with a global perspective or else we're going to miss these nuances that mean all of the difference to people. And, yeah, and it's, and, and it's and not just, just a nuance. Breast milk, uh, I mean, bio milk. Um, what was the other one? Turtle tree? Turtle tree. Just so eye-opening and fascinating to me. And I cannot wait to see where they take it. It's like you said, we are, we're late to the game and they are showing up strong and it's so exciting. You guys, you absolutely have to read the book. How did you go from, maybe I should write a book to putting it on paper? That process seems so daunting to me. So I want to know where it started <laughs> and then how you really just kind of, it seemed to happen fast. Were you thinking about it longer than then I thought, no, about this time last year, started it. That's crazy to me, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. So the easiest way to, to do a book I learned is, at least for my method, uh, was to do interviews and audio. And then I, I would take the audio and start to turn it into passages. So mm -hmm. that worked best for me. I know that everybody's a little bit different, but you can also download this tool called otter.ai if or there's similar kind of competitors and they can, and they take audio from zoom calls and podcasts like this, and they'll transcribe it down into words. And then that can give you kind of your starting line and start to like pull out passages and themes and stories. And, and that's how I started being able to turn it into something uh, written. How did you narrow down the women you highlighted? So there's a few things I looked for. I wanted to make sure that there was a diversity of geography race, uh, background, age as well. I think my oldest person in the book is 65 and my youngest is in their 20s. Um, I thought it was very important to ensure that all the different voices were represented. Um, I obviously wanted to make sure that they had exciting products and companies, but I did include, there's a couple non-founders in there. I've got a few celebrities in there. I've got a few uh, politicians. So some people that are kind of on the peripheral and supporting side of uh, the food space. It was important to me to show that anyone that picks up the book can find themselves in it. So I wrote it with the goal in mind that no matter who you are, there is going to be one story or one piece that clings on to you and shows you that you too could be a leader in this industry. And, and let's be clear, you do not need to be in the food space. You do not need to be female. You need to eat. 
That's what's going to qualify you to find something that resonates with you in this book. And it will challenge your thinking and it will challenge the choices that you make. And that's what's so powerful. So you walk alongside these women in order to tell their stories. Did, were you surprised by anything that you learned? Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty interesting stories in there. There's people that I had known with a very big public persona. So in our industry, Miyoko is a big one. Uh, her and I spent almost five hours together working on her life story. It was the first time she's ever shared her life story was in this book. And she gets into some pretty insane stuff. Uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to get the book to, to read it. But she escaped with her life and um, ran away from her home country. So there was some pretty heavy stuff. And even just understanding and learning from people like Heather Mills, who is also a very famous person with a persona. She was married to a beetle. Learning about where she came from, how about how she lost her leg, she's an amputee, you know, how she went through all these insane barriers to then still become who she is today. Uh, that was that was pretty impressive. And obviously, there's some greats in there, like Pinky Cole. Uh, the one that I actually thought was very touching was Susie Amos Cameron's story. So Susie, she told me about what it was like going from the Midwest and getting plucked out of obscurity and suddenly becoming a high powered fashion model in Paris, seemingly overnight as a teenager. And she said to me that, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but perhaps the most famous fashion editor in the world, she was having a conversation with her when she was still a young model in Paris. And she was talking about how hard it was to maintain her weight. And the person said to her, Oh, there's a solution for that. You just don't eat. And she just said that sure. And just like picking up all these, these insane stories that all of us as women collectively share. We have all these experiences. These are all experiences we've all been through, you know, struggling with your weight that almost every woman I know has been through that. And these are all common threads um, in the stories of how these women got interested in what we eat and how we can improve what we eat. When I read Susie's section, I remember writing some notes and one, it was, she said something along the lines of, this is the problem that I go to sleep with, I wake up with, keeps me up in the middle of the night with. That just speaks to women create businesses for very, with very different motivations. And then I also remember writing that she wanted her kids and, and every child to have a healthy relationship with food. You know, it's necessary for our health and our growth. Um, and she's done some great work in schools that you highlight. So again, you're going to have to check out the book, people. All right. You've been inspiring the next generation of problem solvers. So I got to ask, will there be a second book? Well, there's a lot to come. So we're working on, well, it's not, it's still an early concept, but I'll just kind of share it with the audience here. If you like the book, and you think that this book is something that belongs in schools, and you think that this book is something that belongs to some of our, our younger women change makers, we are thinking about uh, taking the book and turning it into a children's book as well, a book that would be designed for, for young children, uh, both boys and girls, to be able to learn about these different professions, learn about the food system, learn about the future of food specifically, uh, as well as be able to see diverse faces that look like them. So important among our kiddos. All right, I'm going to be looking out for that too. So certainly let me know if I can help you with that in any way. How about for Vegan Women Summit? What can we expect coming up? Oh, it's 
there's a lot. <laughs> so we are getting ready to uh, launch a few of our, our yearly campaigns. So we're teaming up with Copper Branch, the world's largest plant-based restaurant chain, once again, to give away a contract to a woman founder anywhere in the world to put it across uh, North America-wide restaurants and potentially even Europe this year. So last year, we awarded Atlas Monroe, uh, founded by Deborah Torres, which is uh, the largest vegan fried chicken company in the world. So uh, we're very excited to bring that contest back again and get a VWS menu item out there for the fall. We will be bringing back our pitch competition that I mentioned earlier in the recording. So our pitch competition, VWS Pathfinder, will be coming back um, for the fall as well. And then, of course, uh, our big flagship summit is going to be bigger and better than ever next year. You won't believe what we have in store. We had over 800 come to Los Angeles. We absolutely sold out. So we're taking this thing much, much bigger for 2023. And let that be encouraging to anyone who is listening, thinking, you know, maybe it's time because you're just two years old in this venture. So the time is now. Look how much you can accomplish. Jenny, you do so much. What do you think you're best at? I think I am best at identifying the solutions and the connections that are needed to solve problems, whether they are people or resources or products or innovations. I think that I connect the dots in a way that others might not necessarily. And what makes you ridiculously good at that? I don't know. Is it nature versus nurture? It's something that I've done as long as I can remember. When I was a child, I'd love a Rubik's Cube. I also would love to solve climate change. Any sort of problem that you put in front of me is something that I will throw myself at. I work really hard. And I spend a lot, a lot of my day working in different ways to really solve the problems that I care about. I think that I'm not scared to throw myself into impact-focused um, work. I think that a lot of people have hesitations. I think a lot of people prioritize things like money and, um, you know, perhaps civility in a way that I just simply don't. And that's probably because I had so many tragedies happen to me earlier on in my life. Um, I think what's the worst that can happen? Nobody died. You know, let's do this thing. I say that quite often. And uh, it's quite honestly kind of a dark mantra that my husband and I now share. I've tried to get in the habit of saying, well, what's the best that can happen? You know, like, let's go for it. Can you quantify what ridiculously good means? How do we tell? I think ridiculously good is I don't know that it's necessarily whether somebody is skilled versus has a natural talent, but I think it's when a person really looks like they're in their flow state and it is coming completely natural to them what they are doing and excelling at. Behind the scenes, you have no idea how they got there. They might be somebody that's working on it like eight hours a day right before they get on stage for those five minutes, but Regardless, you can get there with grit and hustle or you get there with natural charisma. It's probably a combination of the two. But if you make it look effortless, you're probably ridiculously good at it. Ooh, amen. Well, I hate to even say it, but we are approaching the end of our time. I'm so pleased to have talked with you. We like to button down our conversations with the same set of questions, but you get to choose. Would you like to take the easy way or the hard way out of here today? Uh, let's do the hard way, sure. I knew you would choose the hard way. You're a woman after my own heart. Okay, here we go. How do you handle disappointment? 
I handle disappointment by trying to think through all of the things that I have in my life that I am grateful for. I think gratitude is an underused uh, tool when it comes to handling the challenges that face you. Yeah, keeping that balance for sure. What are you afraid of? I am probably most afraid of not being able to solve the you know, challenge of my life. I think that my North Star is to remove animals from the food system. And my fear is that my efforts and, and my life's work will not be enough. And we can only look at the last, you know, five, 10 years at the rate of disruption and then look forward to the solutions like you've highlighted in the book and think it is attainable. And I know things might not look that different in our lifetime, but it is coming and you are a major part of that. It's my life's work. It's a North Star. I absolutely believe that I am put on this earth to turn the curve for the fate of this planet and all those that inhabit it. And it is, I think, the work of probably about 1% of us that will do it. And we carry the burden for the other 99%. It's not a challenge that I take on lightly, but I do think that we are um, those those that are enlightened with this um, challenge have that burden, but we're warriors um, for a better future. Do you have a life slogan, maybe a motto, verse? Um, well, I told you my dark little mantra a little bit earlier. Uh, I, I think that I would say, why not me? I use that quite often and I have for quite mm. some time and it helped me get through a lot of the imposter syndrome I had in my early days in the Valley. Yes. What is something that the world needs more of? The world needs more understanding. I think that we have lost our sense of empathy and connection to one another. We've been fragmented both physically by the pandemic and lost kind of that sense of community harmony, but also fragmented by the internet. I think we've been kind of forced into these weird, arbitrary Um, tribalism type lines online and we are losing the fact that life pretty much happens 99% in the nuances of things. Um, None of us are black or white. I mean that in the metaphorical sense. Um, We're really just all living in that gray in the middle and we need to find more commonality to reach each other in the middle and stop finding the differences because we're not all that different. Amen. Jennifer Stoikovich, I've had to practice that one. I'm going to spell it out for our listeners because if they want to reach you, they can certainly head to Jennifer, S-T-O-J-K-O-V-I-C.com to get in touch with you. Please pick up her new book, The Future of Food is Female. And it has been my pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to the next one. I'm Nicole Astra. Take care. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Ridiculously Good Podcast. To get the freshest updates on Tyndall, you can find us at Tyndall.com or follow us on Instagram at Tyndall Foods.